Hello and welcome to IMI's Talking Leadership Podcast. This week our focus turns to resilience and specifically how to embed it within your organization's day-to-day to reduce stress and forge a clear roadmap to productivity. I'm delighted to be joined by Evelyn Johnston, Managing Director of the Resiliency Hub. She is an author, speaker, coach, trainer and consultant and has previously worked in financial services and has over 30 years experience working in blue chip organizations across a range of business areas. I sat down with Evelyn earlier this year after her event for the IMI community. Evelyn, welcome to the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. How are things with you today? They're great. Thank you. I had a lovely Easter break and I took an extra day off, which is really important. And I'll come back to that actually probably while we're talking. So thanks for asking me to speak, um, Dave. I'm delighted to actually talk about leadership and resilience. Yeah, and it's something that's so important these days, especially as we're, we're kind of in this, um, I suppose, period of limbo where we're sort of waiting for the vaccines. You know, people are kind of reevaluating maybe how work is going to look when we go back and this kind of hybrid model and things like that. So it's, it's a time of real reflection for leaders, I think. So it's, it's, it's a great pleasure to have you on. So just, I suppose, to kick off, um, Evelyn, I wanted to ask you about your own journey to uh, resiliency and how, what that has looked like in broad terms. And how did you get to where you are today as the Managing Director of the Resiliency Hub? It's a great question because when I was reflecting on resiliency, when I set up the Resiliency Hub, it really was when I realised that I was born resilient and that we're all born resilient. And that may sound like a very long way of introducing how I set up the Resiliency Hub, given that I'm 53 this year, but we were born resilient And then external factors actually seem to get in the way. So we start behaving in a certain way to get the approval of our parents. We start adopting traits to build up friendships. And then we get to the workplace and we're doing those at probably a a greater pace. But actually for me, I believe that I was always had that underlying resilience. But I always think it's really useful to look at what the definition of resilience is. And often there's a definition that people look at, it's the ability to bounce back. And that is what always was the definition that I struggled with. Even though I wrote in my book recently, it's called Bouncing Back. I wrote Gutthroat Leadership and I updated it for Bouncing Back. But since then, I've really stopped and thought about the concept of time in resilience, because we're always resilient, but we get caught up in thinking that actually can also adjust our resilience. So for me, I had two kids when I was very young in college, which wasn't exactly the ideal five-year plan. But what it did was it fast-forwarded my life quite significantly. And I had a very successful career in financial services But it all was in the back of my mind. I was probably, if I'm honest, trying to prove something, prove that I was resilient. So I had all these external factors and I was looking for external validation all of the time. Now I'm being very honest because the more executives that I coach and teams that I work with around resilience, you can see the aha moments where people actually identify with that when I say, I was looking for external validation instead of actually knowing that I was resilient myself. So for me, resilience is the ability to remain flexible and take initiative in the midst of ambiguity 
and change and no better time for us to be tested in that. Three years ago, I took the opportunity to set up business on my own. There was an opportunity for redundancy. I was in JP Morgan at the time and I was absolutely delighted to go back out and set up my own business around leadership, executives, executive coaching, resiliency. And I'm delighted, even though I set it up just prior to a pandemic, I'm delighted to say that actually all that I have learned and trained, I'm able to apply to the business. And more recently, we've extended the business to resilient families. So it's like literally a resilient community because it's so important to all of us now. So long way of saying we're born resilient. I'm still resilient. And that's what the Resiliency Hub is about, is actually sharing that message across all communities. That's fantastic. Yeah. And such a, such a good message as well. I suppose one thing maybe uh, that you touched on there in terms of um, resiliency is, you know, just kind of, you know, getting down to the people level. And, you know, obviously in the pandemic, things have been things have been tough for everyone um, in many different ways. But from a business perspective, do you see now leaders focusing more on people and people driven initiatives? Yes. Now, I say yes, but I put a but in. I say yes, because it is in the forefront of every single leader's and business's mind. I say yes, because all of these initiatives that are being thrown at us from government point of view is actually leading us towards remote working. The pandemic, we are constantly changing and having to adapt. And I say yes, because we know intuitively that people are the primary most important thing. And if we lose our people now, if we don't maintain them and work with them and nurture them, we are going to lose them to other organizations. However, HR tends to have that function or there's a talent role or a people partner in organizations. And I've been working with a number of coaches recently and we've been looking at ways of actually changing the role of the HR partner. Because HR is supposed to be front and center in most of these change initiatives around people. And now we're focusing on people, but HR is so overwhelmed that it's very difficult for them to actually take on another role around people. And that's why I had a yes, but of course we're focusing on people. But actually, people-driven initiatives really need to be taken aside like a change initiative. And I think that's when it will really start to work. So I suppose just speaking about kind of leaders now in general, and something that's kind of struck me, has struck me over the past um, 10 years or so is there seems to be just this better awareness, for lack of a better term, about you know mental health and things of that nature. Do you think in general leaders have now become a bit more cognizant of the challenges they face are are they taking now a bit more stock perhaps of the things that are happening in work and saying okay this is clearly you know an unsustainable mental pressure on me and things like that do you think that we're you know for lack of a better term are we sort of um diagnosing these things earlier and tackling them a bit better do you think yes i think we're noticing them better there is more of awareness around it probably some leadership traits and stress 
that may have existed in an organization in the past has been highlighted with the pandemic. And if it has, we can hide nicely behind the pandemic as being some reason to bring something to the surface. And yeah. that probably doesn't sound very supportive, but actually it gives us any opportunity that we have to actually bring something as important as mental well-being to the surface and the importance of mental well-being to the surface is just so significant. So if we can thank the pandemic for one thing, it probably is that. I'm constantly fascinated by leaders that I coach. And even more recently, there was a very senior executive. And when we spent time together, extracting his leadership role and kind of looking at the component parts of it. It was amazing what his inner thinking was doing to him as a leader. Because most leaders, despite this outward appearance, still have the little question mark inside, am I doing the right thing? And that's why coaching is really effective because yeah. it's a great sounding board, particularly around resilience and particularly around an area where people don't really have a, a plan particularly in a pandemic we've never done this before and leaders are adapting and they're adapting incredibly well but to have a, a sounding board is fantastic and to have an opportunity to actually speak about mental health is really really important the other part of mental health which is really important is that it is health it is mental well-being and health it's not a negative, it's a positive. And I think that's important for us to note as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I suppose if you um, could take a moment just to kind of, uh, I suppose, speak to our listeners for a moment, uh, leaders, you know, executives, and maybe just kind of in a nutshell, what would you advise them in terms of, uh, you know, habits maybe that they could incorporate into their days to tend to their mental health, or even just to kind of take a small moment just to check in and say, you know, how am I doing today? The two really quick ones, and, and then I'll flesh them out. One is just to notice. And if that's all people took from this, is to actually notice. To really notice what's going on in their own mindset, what they're thinking. To really notice what's going on around. Going around with their colleagues, in their family life, in their personal life. And we all think that we're noticing what's going on around us. We're not really, we're not really present most of the time. So that's the first thing. Now that takes practice. It really takes practice because I would have thought that I was always present, but I wasn't. And present is when you're sitting with a child, for example, and you're really listening to the child or listening to music and really listening to music, not caught up in your head about the music, just really listening. That's the first thing. But the second thing is just the simple two words, full stop. Just to notice when the chatter starts, that's what leads to more stress. When we wake up at nighttime, for those of you who don't sleep well at nighttime and the head starts and the chatter starts, I used to say it was like playing CD one, track one, track two. But actually just notice it and just go, there's that chatter again. You don't have to do much about it. A lot of people think that de-stressing is all about doing more. 
It's actually about doing less. It's about slowing down and just noticing. But the areas that I look at with executives and in corporations and with young kids is well-being and resilience at work. And I've more recently started working with a psychometric tool, which is actually called well-being and resilience at work. We call it the raw model. And that looks at five distinct areas of well-being. And that's really, really, it's, it's the only thing that grounds me when I know, oh, I'm feeling a bit off. What's, what's a bit of, a, a, out for me? And I can tell you more about that, actually, if you think it would be of use. But it does focus on things like your energy levels, getting out into the air, relationships, your thinking. It's a really effective tool just for noticing where you are with your resilience. Yeah, it's fascinating. And that just kind of, uh, I suppose idea of kind of as you say just pausing kind of slowing things down doing less that's something that is is probably anathema to many leaders because mm. it's this kind of always on you yeah. know culture that we've kind of come into and i suppose this kind of leads nicely into the next question uh, evelyn in terms of um looking forward now into kind of the post-pandemic world whenever that might come to fruition what would you envisage as being a kind of a post-pandemic resilient leadership model for lack of a better term uh, what would that look like for you yeah, and two things spring to mind immediately. One, I'll come back to the, the well-being at work. But I've been doing a lot of change projects and change training and change coaching recently. And the simple transition curve and the simple change methodology that we're kind of aware from textbooks, I think that needs to be applied to organisations nearly to take post-pandemic organizations as a project mm. in itself to bring the people along to actually bring leaders and everybody along so that the conversations that are happening that actually are will we be half half time in the office what about people who don't want to go back to the office there's been a prove it a giant prove it that we can all work from home because we had to work from home and people would have resisted in the past have seen it work and then there are some people who just want to get back. But let's have those conversations. But let's have them now. There's a touch of kicking down the, the can down the road. But if I was to bring in a model and I could create the perfect resilience zone, the areas I would look at are the areas that are in that raw psychometric area that I focus on with clients. And there are five areas. Their energy, their future focus, their inner drive, flexible thinking and strong relationships. And even if I just spent one minute going through those and people jot it down, oh, I can actually have five zones of thinking. I can put a change project together that has five areas that we're focusing on. I'll put a leader for each of those areas and we'll see how we can drive this organization forward in a meaningful way that results in resilient leaders, resilient employees, resilient teams, and further afield, because we forget that actually, if we're working effectively in the workplace, the impact that it has on our colleagues, our colleagues' families, our colleagues' friends, our partners, like it's, a, it's systemic. 
And we forget that. We forget that when we go home and we're a grumpy version of us, or we leave the sitting room to go into the kitchen, depending on where your home office is, and grumpy version of you goes in. And I say, I speak that about my own version of me. It's to know the impact that that has on people. So energy is simply about sustaining and renewing your physical energy. And just to have capacity so not to be actually on reserves all of the time, to actually go back to that word notice, notice your energy levels. It's simple things like going for a walk. It's so simple, eating the right foods. It's, it's, it's beyond simple. And people say that they're, they're caught up and there's a pandemic. It is the most simple thing to get out and get air. And the difference it makes is exceptional. The future focus is then just have more of a sense of purpose and direction around what you're doing. Some of us are meandering. If, if, if the project was about being future focused, then looking at kind of your inner drive, which is about our self-belief and how we get tough on ourselves about thinking that we display. How often we actually are tough on ourselves when actually we should be more careful and mindful of ourselves. And that brings me to the thinking, just to be open. And relationships are really important in a resilient post-pandemic world, because whether we have noticed it or not, we're not doing the whole relationship thing in the workplace as much as we were. We weren't meeting people regularly afterwards. We weren't having those coffees. And some of us are actually thriving on that kind of introvert lack of relationship. And in a post-pandemic world, that's going to change as well. So our, our approach to it needs to, to change. And all of those areas combined will drive a resilient organization forward. Definitely. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's so fascinating to look at, especially um, you're seeing the kind of polarity as well in terms of people's preferences, you know, the kind of the introverted, as you say, approach versus the extroverted approach and um, how that's going to develop over the next few months. It's going to be in a way, I suppose, a massive social experiment that we'll all be uh, a part of. So it'll yeah. be very interesting. I'm interested, Evan, just to kind of touch on again, your journey. And would, would you be able to just kind of talk briefly about any kind of say public figures, any role models, or even people in your own life who have influenced uh, your journey the most yeah I, I, lo I love that question because I should be giving great textbox uh, textbook um, role models and for me I was raised by a father who actually did not have an ability to say no he didn't Nothing was impossible. That's two negatives. Everything was possible. And he he's 90 years of age. And two, two, three weeks ago, he got his first vaccination. The following day, he was mowing the grass. And I think that that was my greatest role model. Because I knew that I was a can-do person. However, I also know when I reflect back, that I was also looking for that external validation because modern life expects us to get good grade or to, to look the right way or to look a certain way. And um, he was probably my greatest role model, if I'm honest. But more recently, I have some amazing coaches and a community of coaches from internationally, like literally they're from India, Australia, Los Angeles, mm -hmm. Ireland, it's everywhere. And there's a community of us that meet once a week. And I think they have been my greatest role model 
because all of them have lived a life and we're raw and we're real. And I think the more we do that, the more actually we'll all see role models just in ourselves because public people are just normal people. It's traits that are the role model parts. So there's no kind of smooth transition from that, but um, I'm interested to ask you about um, stress in the workplace and how um, it manifests itself, especially in terms of inefficiencies. Um, would you kind of be able to um, kind of share with our listeners any ways to manage it or, you know, especially dealing with this kind of, um, I suppose, kind of meeting after meeting and the virtual, you know, landscape we're in at the moment? The immediate thing that jumped into um, my mind was a fairly senior executive that I was coaching two weeks ago and she described exactly what you just said there she described the situation where it's back-to-back meetings there's no let up her commute has turned into two extra hours in work which is in her bedroom at home and she probably spent 15 minutes introducing the whole concept of how stressed she was and my first question was who's asking you to do those hours and literally there was 30 seconds of silence and she went nobody and my next question was is there an expectation within the organization no and my third question was would anybody notice if you weren't working the 12 hours every single day and she went no And when we started looking at the cause of the stress, it was actually her perception and her perceived perception of what other people expected of her. So a lot of the stress that we experience in the workplace and in our own home life is actually our own thinking around what we should and should not be doing. And simple actually reaching out to somebody and saying, I have not got this done right now. What's the expectation around it? I've already told you I'm 52 years on the planet and I only learned this in the last couple of years. I would love to say that I was a model for this behavior when I was in financial services because I wasn't. I refused to ask for help. It was the most simple thing to do, but I felt it was a weakness. I refused at times to actually go out and ask somebody, when's this, when when do I need to have this done? Or I don't actually understand what was asked of me. If we asked those simple questions, I think we'd reduce our stress levels. But the really, really important thing in stress and managing it is actually just noticing it, noticing where it's coming from. Because I go back to that client that I was talking about and we roared laughing throughout (laughs) the session because it was so funny when she realized that no, 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 nobody's chasing me for this. No, I don't have to. No, I don't. And I, I often use it as a technique when I'm coaching people. I often go, let's imagine we're in a court of law and you have to prove you know, yeah. have you been asked to work 12 hours a day? No, Your Honour. Do you have to have that finished tomorrow? Yes. But it doesn't have to be done in the manner in my head. 
So we're stuck on perfe perfection. And because we're so stuck in perfection, and I could write a whole book and session on this, we get caught up in procrastination. And that causes stress. When really a lot of the time, people just want information. So just stop and notice where your stress is coming from is the first. And then, and then work on that. But a good old walk and, and the little tiny little tip, it's have you ever noticed when you'd get up back in the olden days when we used to be in offices, but you can still do it at home. When you used to get up and make a cup of tea and all of a sudden some insight would come to you, a simple answer about something that you were sitting at your desk worrying about. That shows the power of actually just shifting and moving your mindset. The simple thing of making a cup of tea can sometimes bring a complete information download for you and make something much easier. So take a little bit of time out as well. Yeah, it's amazing the effect that uh, movement has on the brain and the ability yeah. to uh, generate ideas and everything. All the research on that is, is really fascinating. Yeah. So I suppose looking looking a bit into the future again, um, you know, we're looking at hybrid work. And of course, recently, uh, the Times study of Radker introduced um, a code of practice on the right to disconnect. So there's all these different kind of factors coming into it. But I suppose I'm interested to get your opinion, Evelyn, on um, our mental toughness in general. And do you think that this period that we've lived through over the last year or so and, and maybe over the next few months has actually made us mentally tougher? Or is there, do you think, a degree of maybe comfort zone that we don't want to get out of? You know, so this is going to be a really interesting few months ahead. How do you see... Uh, people's mental kind of toughness playing into uh, the next few months yeah and i love i love that question and the reason i love it is because it gives me the opportunity to talk about separate realities and separate realities is actually that no two people can ever have the same take or the same understanding of any one event so that's no two people can ever have the same view understanding or takeaway of any one event. So whether it's a rugby match or a football match or a meeting or a simple conversation or this podcast. So everybody who listens to this will have a different takeaway from this. So mental toughness means something different to every single person on the planet. And yet we are, putting molds and rules and adapting things for a mindset of mental toughness. And I think that's the first thing that we just need to notice because mental toughness actually, I think it's just about noticing how agile we are on a particular day, because I, I guarantee you that you wake up some days and you're firing and you're flying and everything is great and you just feel invincible. And then other days and nothing is different. You're in the same house, you're probably wearing the same jammies, you're in the same bed. Everything is the same, all your surroundings are the same, but you'll actually wake up in a completely different state of mind. That's why mental toughness is just something that's so transient. That I think is really important for us just to notice as humans. Just go, hmm, what do I mean by mental toughness? Does that mean that I need to be hard and able to, to bounce back at all stages? No, it might just mean that you notice where you are in a particular moment of time and go, OK, I don't have the ability to do that right now, but I'll do it in two hours time. So another word for mental toughness, actually, ironically, is kindness to yourself. I yeah. think that will be where we'll be. We, we should be going with all these changes. 
just the next question actually touches on something that you've said um, in the past that kind of resonated with me is true leadership happens in the split second before thought takes over. Um, I'm interested to hear you explain that to our listeners, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, it was my tagline, actually, when I first set up the business. And it that came to me when I was making a cup of tea one day. Because ah. I realized that real leaders are intuitive leaders. So actually, we can all lead. We all have that intuition inside us where we know what's right or wrong. Where we all have that knowing. We all have that awe feeling. And it's a split second. It's that split second where you kind of know. And then yet our mind takes over and then thought gets in the way and we should be doing this and what would they think and how can we do this and it's a pandemic. And all of a sudden, all of our thinking gets in the way. But if you can actually just pull back to that split second, if we could hit pause on ourselves, that's true leadership in my, in my view. And I always know when I've got it. And then to notice that. So I know intuitively when something is right, I'll do it. I should have, I knew. <laughs> and, and we don't. So just notice that. That's, that's what I love. I, I just love about it. It's that split second before thought takes place. And it's just being present and noticing. Yeah. Um, could you be also uh, touch on as well something that um, is interesting to me, the, um, the thought-feeling connection. So we, we've touched on this, um, you know, kind of in terms of the, the, last, uh, the last few questions, mm-hmm. in terms of how powerful the mind is to actually, you know, influence our feelings and things like that. Would you be able to kind of explain mm-hmm. that a bit more for yeah. the listeners? Um, I love this one, but it's equally annoying. <laughs> um, the thought-feeling the thought connection, it's... Literally, you cannot have a feeling without having thoughts and thinking around it. So if you wake up grumpy, you can't wake up grumpy without actually having had some first thinking that came into play. So something, and it might be, oh, God, I have to do that project, and I should have done it last night, and I should have finished it. Oh, and I've got that phone call at 10 o'clock. So then your feelings start you know, working and, and and then we get emotional when the feeling is is a certain type with those good emotions and those bad emotions. But actually, it's not possible to have a feeling without having thoughts attached to it. Now, the reason this is so annoying is because as humans, our brain, we're conditioned to go, oh, no, that doesn't, I can do it. And we're, we're nearly want to prove that this is wrong. Mm. And I did it for so long until I had to write a book on it. And then when I had to write a book on it, I really had to just grasp the concept. Because actually, when we're just in our quiet minds, our thoughts slow down. And you just have the less irrational feelings. You just become more aware of your thinking. And once you get more comfortable with it, this is what I tend to do now is I find myself going, hmm, there you go. There's that thought again. Why am I feeling like, oh, you're having that thought again, which I'm making up. I'm making up the thinking because none of us know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. 
And often when I do trainings and I set the alarm clock for 10 minutes and I say, none of it's going to happen in the future. And we all think we do, but we don't. None of us can predict the future. And yet we plan and map out all these future conversations that are based on our current thinking and feeling. And it's no wonder we get ourselves into a state of stress. So that's really where it is, where it comes from. Um, just my final question for you now, Evelyn, um, and it's about just, I suppose, the kind of take home message, I suppose, for leaders um, as they you know, go about reshaping their organizations moving forward in the, the next few months. How should leaders go about doing that um, to incorporate a more resiliency focused approach? Yeah. And back to something I just said earlier, and I'm, I'm really I have to admit, I'm really passionate about this. We can talk about things forever. And we do talk about things forever, but actually the doing needs to happen. And to me, becoming a resilient organization or reshaping the organization, just become even more resilient focused is a change project in itself for some organizations. So even if they were to take on that resilience framework that I was talking about earlier, and just look at various component parts of the organization. And the project doesn't have to be huge. You can actually start with one part of it. One part may be just building relationships and communication, because communication has to change completely now again. It really does. We've been communicating behind screens for the last 12 months. And now we're going to be like walking into offices and we'd look at the people going, do I touch them? Do I talk to them? Do they run away? You know, we're, we're in a strange environment now. So we've got, a, we've got an opportunity to put a process in place, to create a change project and not to leave everything on HR or talent, to, to actually become part of a communica- community and make this a project to drive forward and take an external um, consultant if necessary, because it can be quite quick then when you've got accountability partners were responsible for the change but actually to me noticing where you're at and noticing where the organization's at and noticing where your colleagues are at is probably the first point and the first thing that we all need to do. Evelyn I want to thank you so much for your time today a really really fascinating conversation and um, much appreciated. You're very welcome and thank you very much for the opportunity. I want to thank Evelyn again for her time and her insights today The next episode of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast will be with you very soon. Until then, take care.